All right, y'all can have a seat. Welcome, I'm so glad that y'all are here with us this morning as we get to celebrate that Jesus is alive. My name is Aaron Parks and I get to serve as our family pastor here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And so I get to work with kids from birth to 18 and everything in between. And so it's a super awesome thing that we get to do here at Fellowship Fayetteville. So parents, here's what I want you to do. If you're a parent in the room and you've got a kid maybe in your lap or sitting next to you or in the floor underneath somebody else's chair, just take a deep breath, take a deep breath. It's gonna be okay, it's gonna be all right. We have a service like this two or three times a year and that's the way we like it. We love that kids are in here with us and so if your kid's a little more vocal than they usually are, that's all right, that's all right. We see that as kind of, there's gonna be like kind of a holy rumble throughout the whole room kind of all morning long And so that's all right, we like it that way. One of the traditions that I really love at Easter time is this greeting that people have been saying for hundreds if not thousands of years. And uh, it is when someone says to you, he is risen, then you respond with, he is risen indeed. And so let's try that, ready? He is risen. So let's let that be a greeting as we see one another in the foyer, as you see people later in the day. Like that's just a beautiful reminder for us that, hey, we're celebrating that Jesus is risen. And so um, one other thing that I wanna point our, our minds and our hearts to. Last night during our Saturday night service that we had at five o'clock, we took note that Our brothers and sisters in Japan, Kyle and Elise McCarthy, some uh, missionaries who we've sent out here from Fellowship Fayetteville, they were getting ready to worship on Easter morning last night at about five o'clock. And so ever since that time, believers around the world have been waking up and they've been celebrating that Jesus is alive. And so now it's our turn. But on Easter, people all over the world, believers all around the world celebrate that Jesus is risen. And so as we worship and as we celebrate today, we're connected to the global body of Christ and what he's doing all around the world in so many different languages all over. And so as we continue in worship, will you pray with me? Jesus, we're so grateful that you're alive. It's such a gift and we're so thankful that you conquered sin, you conquered death and you brought life to all who believe in you. And so as we remember our brothers and sisters around the world who have already celebrated and they're celebrating right now that you are alive. God, we celebrate too. So remind our hearts and remind our minds that that you're alive and that you're with us. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.
scripture in our own lives, but, but none more so than on the cross, his faithfulness come to completion on the cross and the life, the death, and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we reflect every week that we are sinners, that we needed the cross. We're sinners in need of a savior. And so church together, let's confess that corporately, heavenly father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a savior. That's not the end of the story, am I right? But today we get to celebrate the resurrection. And for those of us who believe in Jesus, believe in his life, death, and his resurrection, and that he is the Savior and the only Savior that we can cling to for hope, to be right in the eyes of God. And we have good news. So church, believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. There's nothing like our savior, Jesus. And so church, let's continue to celebrate that this morning. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. Lord, there's nothing, nothing is better
standing for the reading of God's word. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how you, he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of a Man must be delivered of the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be risen again. They, then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the, all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the woman because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Bereft of power 
was trampled down. For darkness cannot overcome the fire of salvation's crown. Creation groaning in decay rose up anew, alive, reborn. The word who called life from the deep broke the shame forevermore. There was a rumor that the world was born in love. A whisper spoken true. The word, the life, the risen one, remaking all things new. Fellowship Fayetteville, he is risen. All right, I want to hear that from the mouths of our children in here, okay? And so if you're under the age of 12 in here, when I say he is risen, I want you to say he is risen indeed, okay? Can we do that? All right, he is risen. All right, one more time. He is risen. Yes. Great job, kids. Hey, yes, that's, that's worthy of a clap for sure, especially at the 8 o'clock. How about that? Hey, my name is Clark, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville. If you are a guest with us this morning, we're grateful uh, that you're here. As you can see, the, the offering plate is being passed. Um, if uh, don't feel any obligation to participate in that, that's something we practice as a family of faith, uh, as a way to say thanks to God for his generosity to us. Uh, we try to be generous back to him so we can take one another and advance our mission in the world. And so... Feel free to pass on that. We're glad you're here. If you have questions about our church, feel free to see some folks there in the information booth, and they'd be glad to direct you and guide you along your path here. Um, would also remind you that over the next six weeks, again, if you're new here, you haven't been with us for a while, um, beginning next Sunday, we're going to follow the Easter story as Jesus interacts with others post-resurrection style. And so for six weeks until Memorial Day, we're going to look at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus and see what we can learn about what it means to follow him in those. Well, if any of you know me, and I've done certain road trips with you, I love road trips. And two weeks ago, this past Friday, this is what I woke up to. Dad made my way out to the West Coast, and this is the picture that I woke up to to the eastern skies, I looked out my room. That is Marina Del Rey. And no, one of those boats is not mine. And then I took a walk out towards Venice Beach and made my way out to the Pacific Ocean, made my way north. As I walked out on the pier and watched the sun come up, uh, that's up towards Santa Monica, um, began to just take in the journey that was before me. You see, on that Friday morning at about 6.45, I was beginning to contemplate my trip back to Arkansas. It was a three-day planned experience. I had done this trip before, but what I, what I had forgotten is that this scenery turned into this, okay? For hundreds and hundreds of miles, for most of my 24-hour trip back, this seemed to be what I was staring down, and some of you have done this. And to be fair, there is something beautiful about this. Okay, but it's very empty and barren. And there were moments where I'm like, where is humanity in between gas stations? 
And I was haunted by three empties, if you will, on this trip. And as I was listening to a podcast, I realized that my phone was not plugged in. And then I got to a point where, you know, your, your gas gauge gets over to about that, that quarter tank. And then I looked down and my water bottle was about empty. And then I started thinking, what if all of these three things become empty at the same time in this place, in the middle of nowhere? And I began, quickly I plugged my phone in and I started trying to figure out, okay, what's the next closest gas station to this thing? And I was, I began to panic a little bit with fear and anxiety. Notwithstanding maybe an empty tire or an empty battery, and I was was by myself and that was planned too. It was a time of reflection and solitude, intentional, to spend some time with the Lord. As I made my way back, I began to think, you know what? Most of what we consider empty in our life is usually viewed in a negative sense. It's not a good thing. And I began to ponder on that Friday, Good Friday. And I begin to think, what is, what is a good empty? I give you the empty tomb. Today, this morning, we celebrate empty. It is God's promise to not be there. And that's great news for us this morning. We celebrate empty, the empty tomb. It was a promise for God to put his presence in us as a new people of God. The church, the tomb, must be empty. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the passage that was read, Luke chapter 24. We're going to make just a few simple observations from our Easter morning passage, and then we're going to learn from one follower of Jesus who missed it. And we're going to see how he got it and how he ended up as one who was once empty being filled. And so today we celebrate empty. And so, again, children in the room, you have the freedom this week to ask your parents how empty is your faith, mom? How empty is your faith, dad? And let's see how they respond, okay? Let's have fun with that this week. Consider the empty from three different individuals or groups of people here just in this passage alone. Verse three, when they entered the women, at least three, possibly four or five, when the women entered the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The body was not there. And their panic is they're met just in in the scene later in verse six, they come face to face with two men, likely angelic beings. They assert and affirm, he is not here, he has risen. And then in verse 12, at the end of our passage this morning, Peter, it says he bends over and he looks in and he sees the strips of linen lying there by themselves. And so we have this moment of empty. And as with me, when I began to experience the fear and the anxiety of empty, there are emotions that come with this idea of empty. And you can see those in the text as well. It says, while they were wondering about this, the women, 
the same word that's used for Peter in verse 12. Some of your versions will use the word marvel. So there's this, there's this curiosity or what is happening here. Not fully understanding what's going on, but there's this, this positive bent, Lord. Could this have happened? Could someone have come back to life? And then in verse 5, you see the women as they looked at the angels in their fright. In verse 11, there was the emotion of disbelief. They did not believe. Why? Because their words seemed like nonsense. When the women communicated to the apostles, that word nonsense is used. They were confused. And then Peter gets up and he runs to the tomb. There's a curiosity in his heart about what's happening. When you consider the other gospel accounts, these are some of the other words that are used to describe the idea of emotion. Filled with joy, awe, fear. Did you know the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities, they were filled with fear of losing control. Most often, that's how we engage fear, because we're losing control of a situation. They were experiencing that emotion. There was alarm, there was trembling, bewilderment, and even weeping. And I would ask you, when you consider the resurrection Easter morning, what emotions are stirred up in your heart? For some of you, it is joy, and it's hope, and you've lost a loved one who passed away and is asleep in Christ this year. And so this morning brings with it a deep sense of loss and sadness, but hope and joy. For others of you, maybe these are some of the emotions of you. You still can't quite get your mind and heart around this idea of resurrection. And so there's skepticism or hesitation. There's cynicism or what I call the killer D's, disillusionment, discouragement, or maybe even apathy. And you believe that the, res- that the tomb is empty and the resurrection is real, but it doesn't seem to have any real relevance in your day-to-day life. And this is your 52nd Easter service. And maybe your 53rd because you came last night and you celebrated with 750 folks with us on Easter Eve. And that Easter thing has become kind of old hat to you. And you've lost this, this deep sense of joy and hope and you've become apathetic. And so we acknowledge a variety of emotions as they did that Easter morning. But this passage is centered actually around a promise in a quote that the angels recite back to the women. See it here in verses six and seven. Remember how he told you to steady their emotion. They point them back to the words of Jesus. Verse seven, and this is likely a a quote from Luke chapter nine, verse 22. Word for word, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified. We've reflected on that this past week. And on the third day, be raised again. Jesus made this promise. They did not understand it at the time, but Jesus promised that he would be raised again. And then the women, it says, they were remembered his words. This is one of the few promises in Scripture, specifically of Jesus. He's always telling us he's going to be with us even in the form of his Holy Spirit when he ascends to be with the Father. But this is one of the few promises in Scripture where Jesus promises to not be there. The tomb is empty. And so if the body of Jesus on this Easter morning is not present, what is in the tomb? 
We know the strips of linen were there. Peter has asserted that. But Peter, of all people, one of his final defectors before the cross, Peter, he peers in. He doesn't see the body. But Peter eventually got it. You see, Jesus would restore Peter. And at Pentecost, Peter, filled with God's Holy Spirit, as a new dwelling of God, would preach one of the first good news gospel sermons. And for the next two and a half decades, Peter would be part of this revolution, preaching the resurrection of the Son of God, that Jesus is the new Lord. And this was offensive to all things Rome at the time. And in his boldness, he would preach this good news, so much so that he would take a leadership role in the early church. And over a period of decades, people of all different kinds of backgrounds would trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And they would make their homes in these Roman provinces. And Peter, under the direction and guidance of God's Spirit, in First and Second Peter would give us letters, letters of hope. So this man who peered in and bent over and wandered, this man who defected would later write these words, and these are the implications for us this morning. These are the promises that are found inside the empty tomb this morning. Flip over, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to finish up with just a few verses here in chapter 1. He goes from peering to praise. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us new birth. The word is regeneration. It's a theological word. It means to be made new or made anew. It's the same idea that Jesus used in John 3 when he speaks of this idea of being born again. The language that Paul uses in the New Testament is this idea of new creation or new life in Christ. And what happens when someone is born again is God breathes life into our cold, dead heart. If you remember last week, Garland says we were dead in our trespasses and sin. When, you're, when there's a new birth that happens, life is breathed into your heart. God puts his spirit in you and he helps you see the world in a whole different light as he sees it. This new birth gives way to a living hope. It's another promise that's inside this empty tomb. And when we speak of hope as followers of Jesus, we don't use hope like the world would use it outside these walls in terms of wishful thinking. It's alive. It's present. A phrase that I've used before to describe certain um, qualities that, that we celebrate during the Advent season, whether it be peace or hope or love. It's what happens when our eternal reality the resurrection of our bodies one day to be restored in union with God in his presence. It's when we allow that eternal reality invade our earthly circumstance, the here in the now. So I need you to go with me just for a couple of minutes here, okay? And I know this falls way short of resurrection joy in here. But this coming weekend, down at Bomb Stadium, the Razorbacks are inviting the Tennessee Volunteers to a three-game series, okay? Can we kind of get excited about that? This is the University of Arkansas. We live in Fayetteville, okay? We can get excited about that. So on Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday afternoon, 
um, there's going to be um, this baseball series, okay? Let's say that you've been invited, okay, you've got box seats, maybe some hog pen seats one night, box seats one night in a suite, and then you've got seats right behind the plate on Sunday afternoon, and you, you have the opportunity to invite two of your best friends or someone in your family, your spouse or your pastor. And let's, let's say that there's a guarantee there's a sweep. How about that? And we send Rocky Top back to Knoxville, where they came from. How about that? But as part of this experience, your game experience, you know that you're going to have to block off 12 to 15 hours. Why? Because there's going to be some good meat cooked before and after. And you're going to get to eat some good meals with good friends, and celebrate what we call hog baseball. So that's on your calendar. It's out in the future, just a few days away. How would that change your week this week? You know, some of you would probably double down on some yard work um, tomorrow night or Tuesday night because your Saturday's kind of a wash at that point. Um, some of you, you're now sweating because you're like, man, I really don't want to invite my wife or my husband, uh, what friends can I invite? And you're, you're beginning to sweat, like, who, how do you pick who goes this experience with you? And maybe you start to read a little bit, and you get on the Tennessee Volunteers website, and you figure out who their starting Friday night pitcher is, and um, you begin to, you know it's going to be a cholesterol nightmare in terms of the eating experience, so you're going to eat oatmeal all week, okay? So everything about what's coming and about this guarantee and this good experience has now infected, impacted, and gotten into your week, and it's changing your here and your now. On a much greater experience, this living hope has an active impact on our daily life because we know it's true and it's guaranteed, and the reason it's guaranteed is it's a promise that God made, and it's a promise that's inside this empty tomb this morning. And it's through this right here. It's through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This is our pivot doctrine. It closes the deal on what the cross started in forgiveness of sin to give us life, and it gives way to this third promise that's in there. It's a promise of our inheritance, and this inheritance, it says, is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. The body's not in there. These promises are in there, and they're for us this morning, for every person in the room. How do you experience this promise in your day-to-day? How do you make this hope active and living? Consider Paul's words. Another follower of Jesus who experienced empty, the bad kind, empty religion. And he has these words for us in terms of how to respond. It's another good kind of empty. He says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Did you know that when the resurrection happened, his followers knew the implications of that given their context in Rome. You see, Caesar was Lord and King and overall. And if Jesus was the new Lord, 
then everything would change. And he is Lord. He's overall, sovereign overall. He is the new king in town. We must come to him, good empty, empty of all of our little L lords. They don't satisfy. And when we claim to be Lord, things don't quite work out for us. It's called sin when we try to be Lord of our own existence. And so if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and then believe in your heart, what? The empty tomb, that God raised him from the dead. He says this, you will be saved. Consider that word belief. Some of your versions of your Bibles will use the word faith. We like to use the word trust around here. By their very definition, belief, trust, and faith are empty of you and empty of me. By definition, the heart of their meaning is rooted in what we rely on or what we trust in or what we believe in, and that's the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the empty tomb, his resurrection. And this is good news for us. He is Lord We believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. He says, you will be saved. Saved from what? Ultimately, saved from God's wrath and punishment, eternal separation towards your sin and my sin. Saved from the penalty of sin. Saved from its present power that it may have in you. He frees us up. That's the sin that we've been enslaved to puts his spirit in us and gives us the power to now fight that sin. And then one day in the future, this is great news, he's gonna free us or save us from the ultimate presence of all sin where we'll rule and reign with him. And so this is what we're saved unto. Now, there's a couple, as we finish up, there's a couple of kinds of folks in here. Okay, some of you, you believe this and you're relying on this truth. And it's breathed life and joy into you this morning. And it's the reason that you're able to work through circumstances and trials and crises in your life that many of you are in even this morning. There may be some of us in here that this has never become crystal clear enough, that we've trusted in our empty works, our empty morality, or our empty religion, the things that we do to make ourselves presentable to God. And I would ask you, to come to God empty this morning and express an empty faith with full reliance on him and what he's done for you on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And if I was gonna pray as an act of faith, and I did this in December of 1985, um, this verse became true of me, Romans chapter 10. In fact, it's the part of the passage that the man in my church walked me through. I would declare with my mouth, Jesus, you're my true Lord. I abdicate that throne that I've been on. I am not the Lord of my life. I recognize what we've celebrated this past week in the cross and it's payment for my sin. And God, I believe that Jesus is resurrected. And that this is good news and the tomb is empty. God, give me this new birth. It's the prayer 
would pray and I would ask you as we reflect on this wondrous mystery revealed in the resurrection, if that's a prayer of your heart, would you express that to God this morning? And then tell someone, tell someone about that here in the room. Let's reflect on that great truth in song.
Church, oh praise, oh praise the 